Thanks, Marcia. Um, so I got like a little bit of short notice for this time. And so I apologize. I'm not going to turn my camera on because I just look like absolute garbage can today. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to I'm just going to keep it no camera and just voice if that's okay with you guys. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm happy to be here and definitely was sad to not speak a few weeks ago. I'm really loving the vibe of this new meeting that you guys have going and um, really just like the all inclusive nature of it, um, that it's about all recoveries and, you know, all different types of addiction and all different types of stories you can tell and however long or however short. Um, you know, if you know me, you know, I don't like dogma like a bunch of you guys. So I'm all about the go with the flow. Um, but yeah, um, I won't talk forever. Um, but I'll get kind of the general gist of my story out. So um, I wasn't, I mean, just to speak on the secular thing, I was not raised religious at all. In fact, I was brought up agnostic, if there is even such a thing. Um, my parents were never, I don't even know if, I know my dad's not a believer. I know that he's an atheist, but I don't even know what my mom believes. Um, but it was just never an influence in my life. And, um, you know, much of my life had very little discipline in any way, um, not just religiously, but I just was kind of a free kid. And my parents were very lax about a lot of shit. And uh, so by the time that I got to high school and you know, kind of when you kind of come out of your shell and there's an opportunity for your social life to take hold. Um, I had been sort of a shy kid and good kid. Um, and it was like for the first time ever I had friends, you know, um, and I maybe didn't pick the right ones because, you know, I was pretty quickly led into the darkness um, at like around 14, I wanna say. And I had done, I had done drugs of some sort prior to that like I remember one time I accidentally ate my mom's pot brownies that she made for a poker party one night she was a big party animal and um she would have parties like when we were like asleep of like supposed to go to school the next day she'd be partying like out in the living room with her friends you know just so she made pot brownies one night and um she accidentally did not tell me to not eat them um, and I woke up and was like, oh, cookies. And so that was like my first experience outside of like my dad who used to give me Valium and codeine when he wanted me to go to sleep. Um, sometimes he'd give that to me when I was about, you know, 10 to 12, I wouldn't sleep well. I had like insomnia even as a kid. And so those were my first like actual experiences and they came before getting drunk, but I got drunk for the first time when I was probably 14 maybe 15, I'm not sure. But um, I remember, you know, I remember feeling like this isn't something I'm gonna do well. Like this isn't something I'm going to do responsibly um, right out the get. And, you know, it came with like, it came with trauma right away, um, even on that first night that I got drunk. And, um, you know, high school was sort of just a shit show after that. Like once I started hanging out with people who were, you know, of that variety, I guess, that like to party and their social life was more important than their school life. I mean, I went from being like, you know, the perfect kid, a student to plummeting into, you know, just 
not even going to school anymore. I was even almost on the Becca bill like a bazillion times. I started getting kicked out of high schools. I went to like six different high schools because I kept getting kicked out of them, partly because of my attendance and partly because I was just an asshole, you know? Um, I was like friends with the kids who didn't give a shit. And um, and that harmed me in more ways than just addiction. But um, but yeah, so it, it was it was pretty much, I was drunk all through the rest of high school, about sophomore year on and partying and, and getting fucked up, you know, pretty much every weekend. And, uh, you know, sometimes not even on the weekend. And um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't until, I don't know, I wanna say about 19 or 20, um, things started to step outside of being like just drunk a lot. Plus I worked in the service industry and that was like the thing to do. So even when I wasn't with my friends, when I was at work, I was getting hammered because it was like, well, we work at a bar or we work at a restaurant with a bar. So let's just get hammered, you know? Um, and it was just a constant thing. And until I met um, opiates at like 19 or 20, which was just like Percocets and just general pills, um, I, I always thought like, oh, I'll get a handle on this one day. You know, I'm young, it's fun, fuck it. You know, like I don't need to be responsible yet, so why not? Um, and until I met them, um, I thought that one day I would just kind of clean up my act. Um, and so I was still drinking heavily when I met opiates, but, and partying, but it was like, it took a turn, something happened. And I, and I kind of recognized it, but I also didn't understand how dangerous they were because, you know, my dad used to tell me stories about the sixties and shit when he grew up and, um, and he'd almost like kind of glorify drugs and um, talk about them almost like in this cool, fun way that was like, they were, they, he almost made them appealing, which I don't think he intended to do, but he thought he was just telling funny stories maybe but it was like, if you tell that to a 14 year old, they're not gonna get it, you know what I mean? They're not gonna get the danger. And so I didn't, and um, you know, I toyed with it and uh, more than I should have. And once Oxycontin and the whole epidemic that hit this country and the generation, the young generation really hard hit, like I was right about that prime age for it to hit um, me. And so a lot of my friends were like, hey, you know, try Oxycontin, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot stronger than Percocet, you'll get really fucked up. And um, I remember, I was actually drunk when I tried it, but I, um, I just, I remember like the first night feeling like, oh God, this is bad. This is like real bad. Like I like this way too much. Uh, this is like straight Nirvana for me. And um, I was a little worried, but clearly, I mean, as you can imagine, I ignored that warning inside myself. And um, it wasn't very long after that, that I was like in full blown, you know, opiate addiction to Oxycontin. And that developed into, over time, into um, heroin addiction because once they started ripping it out of the market because of the epidemic, it was like you were sick and there wasn't any affordable way to get well. And so I was very soon you know, um, a heroin addict. And then, you know, it, like, like any addiction does, it progressed and got worse. Um, and eventually I was, you know, even shooting heroin. Um, it took, it took a few years to get there, but it was still, it was still the inevitable progression that I was on. Um, you know, and I fought it for a little while, but, uh, you know, you'll get there. And, uh, it, 
it happened. And I think it was about a year of that where I was, I wasn't actually doing it myself. I was too scared. I had a best friend who had been um, in addiction for quite a few years. I had a bad heroin addiction for quite a few years and she was a family friend. And so she was close to me. And so she wasn't somebody that I could just say, Hey, you're not good for me. Get out of my life. But like, still, I loved her very much and cared for her very much. And she, um, she introduced me to a little bit of the darker side of addiction there too. And, um, and so she actually did it for me for like a year. And for a year, I was like, I can't do it. You know, I, you do it. And, and so about after about a year of that, I, um, you know, and just being drunk and at the bars pretty much every fucking night, you know, I lived on Capitol Hill in Seattle and, uh, that was what you did. You know, that's what your neighbor did. That's what, you know, anyone between a certain age range in that neighborhood did every night for fun, um, was go down to the local bar, get shit faced, talk about it the next day, get shit faced again, you know? Um, and I worked, but it was like, I wasn't really totally unfunctioning until, until the heroin. So, um, so anyway, I did for about a year, um, it was really bad. And like my heroin addiction had gotten so severe that, um, I wasn't functioning like at all. And my family was starting to notice how bad it was. They knew prior, you know, that, that I had problems with like Oxycontin and the pills and stuff, but I don't think they ever imagined that it would turn into that. And so, um, I remember my dad some days, like once he knew that like something was really going bad, um, he came to my house like he was supposed to help me out he came to my apartment and do something you know some dad thing you know how they are helpful and everything <laughs> um and uh and i didn't i didn't hear the doorbell i was like asleep and he i it was like the saddest thing like i remember he came up to my window because after like a few minutes he started to panic and i didn't even know that he knew what was really going on um, and he started like banging on the window and trying to bake, break down the front door and screaming my name and screaming my name. And like, just, I've never seen my dad in so much fear in my life, you know? Um, and it was because he was like, he thought I might be dead inside, you know? And it was so horrific for me to like see him in that much pain um, and fear, you know, that like, I told myself then, like, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it for my dad you know, because I love my dad a lot. And um, I didn't want to hurt him, you know, and I didn't want to disappoint him. So I told him, okay, fine, you know, I need help. And, you know, can you help me? And so he put me in a rehab facility, like spent like 10 grand and thought, oh God, I'm finally going to save her. Like, I'm, you know, she's not going to die. I'm going to save my daughter. And, and I tried. And <laughs> within three days, I, uh, I broke out of it and uh, took through all my shit in like garbage bags and was dragging it down the street in Kirkland. Um, you know, it was just a, a mess because I was just, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the withdrawals. Um, and so after three days, you know, I ended up, you know, back at his house and he was really upset and really disappointed. And I didn't want to give up, but I was like, I can't do it that way. I just, I can't, you know, like I need more assistance than that. Like medically, you know, I need people to like give a shit more about like how bad I feel when I come off heroin, like, and they didn't really do anything at this place. And 
So either way, I went into a, a hospital for seven days and um, they weaned me down off all the drugs that I was taking and the heroin. Um, and I came out, you know, and I was sober and I was sober and clean for a long time. And I went to meetings like occasionally I was also in an outpatient program that had, you know, what resembled like an AA meeting in the group therapy. And then they also suggested that we go to the meetings because they, you, you know, you need to sign off on them and also for the outpatient group. Um, and also, you know, just cause I knew about it now that I was in recovery and, um, but I wasn't like tied to the program in this time in the way that I have been more recently. And in the last like 10 years, because it was, it was voluntary. And also because I just, I don't know, I was doing well, I was doing really well. And I was like loving life and I had, absolutely no substances in my in me at all and for about five years and because I didn't have like a sober date or whatever uh no one like said that mattered but like it was about five years that I had just complete and total sobriety and it was fantastic it really really was um and um it probably was around 29 to 30 I want to say about 30 um things changed um, I've had an illness since I was a kid that um, always kind of made it hard for me to like with chronic pain and uh, it got really bad like I came out of remission um, and it was I was just not getting better and for about like a year and a half I was in pain all the time and um, just really sick and they couldn't help me all the doctors could not help me and uh, and so it got to a place where I think with my depression and stuff alongside that. Like, I was just like, I don't want to fucking exist anymore. Um, but I remember it well. I was actually visiting my dad um, in South Carolina where he lives now and my brother and stuff. And uh, I was talking to my aunt who's also struggled with addiction. Like she's aunt by marriage, but I was talking to her on the phone and I was watching intervention and I was watching, you know, it thinking, God, I'm so glad I don't live like that anymore. Like I'm something around five years off this shit and it's so wonderful. And I don't even think about it. I don't even think about heroin anymore. Like I don't even think about drinking. Like it's so great, you know? And just thinking like these poor people, I wish I could help them, you know? And totally disassociating with, with it. And the idea that I was even an addict anymore or an alcoholic or anything. And, um, <laughs> and like not not even I should you not not even like two days later because I was talking to her about how much pain I was in um she knew that I like wasn't doing well as far as that went and she knew where my dad lived and she had his address and she sent me heroin in the mail like to my dad's house and uh <laughs> and like I mean, it was instant. It was instant. Like, you know what I mean? It was off and running right away, you know? And I, I don't know why I didn't throw it out. I think because part of me knew that I always wanted to do it again. And I just wasn't honest with myself about it. But I just say that only because that's how scary it can be. You know what I mean? And I hear about these stories too, about people with so many years clean and sober and, um, and they just can't you know, imagine ever drinking or ever, you know, getting high again. And it's like, trust me, like it can turn on a dime if I'm any, you know, experience to that. But um, 
either way. Um, so yeah, I was off pretty much off and running at that point. And, and I was also so miserable from the illness all the time that I just didn't even really want to live anyway. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to get back on heroin and that'll be my way out, you know? Um, cause I really, I really didn't want to live. And so I moved back to my mom's, um, after I'd been visiting him, I went to go live with my mom and I came to the Tacoma area. And, uh, for about nine months, I was in active addiction and, uh, I didn't really make any friends. It was a very isolated experience. Um, it was nothing like I had remembered it before. I mean, I was immediately much more severe. Um, it was just, it, there was nothing social about it. It was just, it was, it progressed into, you know, the worst case in my mind that you could get, like, which is that you end up alone and just miserable. Um, and I just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just like, that's all I did is as I, you know, I went and I bought my dope. And then when I couldn't buy my dope, I would manipulate, you know, my family into giving me money if I didn't have it. But for the most part, I blew my entire trust for my grandma, which um, she gave to me to go to college and I held off using it for a long time. And uh, I would manipulate my dad into giving me money or to helping me with this or that. And then I'd spend it on on dope and um, I ended up, I ended up in order to pay him back for everything I've put him through, I ended up just giving him my inheritance. Um, but I probably spent it anyway, you know what I mean? And, um, and so I did that for about nine months until I just couldn't take it anymore. And I missed what I had. And I knew that I had to do something different. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew that I, I needed more of a connection to other addicts and other alcoholics and people that know what the fuck I'm going through because um, it wasn't really there for those five years and not enough anyhow, and, and I thought. And so I was like, well, I never really like, you know, connected to the meetings before, maybe I should try this time, but technically I'm not really an alcoholic anymore. I'm a, um, I'm a heroin addict, so I guess I should go to NA. And so that's what I did. And for those of you who don't know Tacoma, um, it's a you know it's kind of always been like a, a rougher, more working class type type city. So it has a bit of a gruff attitude in some ways. You know, um, like it had a lot it had a lot of gang activity and shit in the '90s. And a lot of people came up around here that saw like a lot of shit, I'm sure, and with some trauma. And it has, a, it has a problem with drug addiction, for sure. You know, um, there's some nice areas of Tacoma, but like, it's a rougher, it's a rougher people who've been through rougher lives, you know. And so here I am, like, Mercer Island spawned, like, which is like a, you know, as white girl as it gets, um, who's like, hi, you know, I'm Lindsay, I'm a heroin addict. And they're like, what? Like, they didn't even believe me. Um, and, um, and I, you know, I remember coming in the rooms and thinking also that hearing these people's stories, like, there's just no way, there's just no way that your life is this good. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you, you have all this time and that you haven't touched this drug and, or, you know, gave up addiction. And, and I almost like, I just couldn't even, I was so fucked that I like, I couldn't even believe that there was like a happy life after this, you know? 
Um, and I thought they were lying. And maybe of them, maybe some of them were, I don't know. But for the most part, I've found that, you know, they aren't. And that there is, there is like the other side, there is the, you know, an end to this where you don't ever want it again. And you really live by that. And that the way to do that is to have other addicts in your life, you know? Um, and anyway, I went through NA for the next few years um, and I did the steps through their workbook, which is a little bit different from AA. But ultimately I got really like involved in, in the social aspect of it because I was still young and, um, you know, I wanted, I still wanted to have fun with my friends, you know, I still wanted like a family and like to meet somebody and all that good crap. Um, and, and so I met an individual that seemingly was like the pinnacle, uh, you know, of recovery community and just the, the most Messiah of recovery, you know, um, at least that's what I thought. And everybody loved him and he was fantastic. And um, I thought that, you know, this was somebody who was gonna guide me in my recovery to even a better place, you know, an even better place. And I'm not gonna get into the the long and short of that or the long and short of that is that I, he was not a good person and he was a very dangerous person. And um, he really affected my, chance in my and this is my opinion but my chance to recover when I came back into NA and then because of that and the drama of that and you know the mess that it created um you know when I was in NA I was kind of bullied and I my life was put up you know as a show of entertainment for the rest of the people in the program in my city and um it was just, you know, it was just, it was just a nightmare and, um, and it messed me up. And so I decided, you know what, fuck the program, fuck these people. Maybe it's just a coma, but I'm just done. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay, you know, sober or clean or whatever. I'm just gonna get on Suboxone and I'm just gonna, you know, live my life. And, and I tried to do that for a couple of years. Um, and then he, uh, I had a restraining order against him. Like he wasn't allowed to see me, but the judge only um, allowed it for a certain amount of time. And then he said, if you want this to continue, um, that you have to come back and like say, you know, you need more, more time on it for him to stay away. And I didn't go back to the court and I didn't ask that it be, uh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, can't think of words right now, but, um, I didn't continue it and um, he was staying away for the most part. Like, you know, it was kind of rough in the beginning, but like after about a year, he was seemingly respecting it. And um, I was like, all right, you know, like it's over, I'm moved on. I'm just, you know, gonna not go to meetings. Cause I felt like I, I couldn't anyway. Like he was so beloved in the community and he was so, he had everybody around their finger. They're like, like, they're like, he just, yeah. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Like when I went to meetings, it wasn't recovery. It wasn't um, about how are you doing? Like, how can we help? Like, here's, you know, 
here's you as a part of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. It wasn't that. It was like all about him and that bullshit and um, judgment of that or whatever. And so, and I also couldn't see him because if he saw me, I didn't know what he would do. And um, I knew that he would corner me and I knew that he would, you know, kind of force me back into his world. And so I just couldn't even go to him even if I wanted to, but um, he was everywhere. He was in the newspaper for the town. I mean, that's, I would literally go into like the store and, and he was on the front page of the Tacoma Tribune. You know, it was like, I couldn't escape him. Um, but uh, yeah, so like he showed up one day, like two years later and the restraining order had been lifted. And um, I was not prepared for that at all. Um, <laughs> you know, I was doing well and I was just working myself to death, but I wasn't, I wasn't really working a program anymore. Um, and he showed up. I have no idea how he found me, but he did. And he, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know if I, I want to talk. I've already been talking a long time, so I don't know how much I want to go into it. But either way, he showed up and kind of dragged me back down into the pits of hell of addiction. Um, and because I also was totally unprepared and because, you know, I guess a part of me just wasn't ready and, and, and just totally had not healed and had not done the work to heal. Um, and um, ultimately, I went back out for about three months. And each time that I... Every, each time that I used in the, like those three months, um, I can't even, I can't even count how many times I went into the ER. Um, it was so bad. I mean, I almost died so many times. I have more scars on me, um, health wise and just, you know, damage, literally physical scars too, um, from those three months than I do in, in, my entire life of, you know, struggling with addiction. And so it was bad. It was real bad. And, um, and I was like, I, you know, it's just this, I'm going to die. And this is the closest I've ever come to death. And I think for the first time I realized I didn't really want to die. And I thought I did, but I didn't. And so I checked myself into an eight day detox in January. <clears throat> I told him, <clears throat> that he needed to go to treatment um, and get the fuck away from me. And, um, you know, uh, that was a process in and of itself. But um, eventually he, he left me alone, took a few months. But, um, you know, I, and then I started coming to meetings online because I knew that I wouldn't see him um, out in the meetings in Tacoma and those people that were just, horrific bullies that I, in my opinion, to me, and I didn't, I didn't want to deal with also the religious aspect. So I just kind of stumbled upon the online meetings. I don't even remember which first one I went to. Um, but I was like, oh, secular exists online. Like it doesn't really exist out in the real world. Like what's this? And All Night Place was one of the first meetings I ever went to. Um, and they were just so wonderful. And for the first time I had like these people that thought kind of like I did and looked at the world more um, open-minded and nuanced and just, 
I did not see the people, the dogmatic bullies that I saw on NA, if that's, you know, to put it simply. And I also saw people who like sought knowledge and sought intelligence like all the time. And I was like, this is fucking great, <laughs> you know? Um, and I was like, I'll recover with these people. Absolutely, I'll recover with these people, you know? Um, and that's kind of where I am now, you know? And the quickest version I can get, but um, I'm just happy secular is here. I'm happy that it's growing. I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, I'm excited about doing service again. I'm excited, excited about having addicts in my life that are healthy people that don't want to tear me down or that don't want to use my life as an excuse for their drama and their entertainment. Um, and I'm happy that, you know, um, I don't even have to leave my house to get it, you know? I can do it right here, you know, at my own time, under my own um, control. And um, it's just fantastic. So I will shut up because I already feel like I'm talking too much. And um, I, I have to admit, I wasn't, I totally wasn't totally prepared to tell my story, but I'm super happy. And who can say no to Marsha, right? Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, thanks for letting me speak, Marsha. I don't even know if she's still awake. I know she falls asleep around this time. So, <laughs> but I'm happy to speak with you. I couldn't have asked for a better group to share it with. So thanks guys.